as we get into God's Word, I want you to turn in your Bibles, as soon as I can get this back up, uh, to the book of uh, Numbers, and we're going to be focusing in on uh, Numbers uh, chapters 20 and chapter 21, just in the first uh, 13 verses of 20 and the first nine verses of 21. And, and some may look at this and be like, oh, Numbers, okay, well, we're back to the children of Israel and and, and that whole narrative. Is there anything else we can preach on? That's something that's preached on so much. Well, you know, I thought it was very appropriate coming off of Thanksgiving. You know, we have this one day a year where we're told we're supposed to focus on being thankful. But really, I feel like it should be more like a once-a-month thing. And we should really have to stop once a month and be thankful because it's so easy to get caught up in all the things we don't have or that aren't going right and to start to grumble and complain, isn't it? I mean, I mean, just as soon as the, the vehicle breaks down at the wrong time and you got Christmas coming and, and this and that, and it's easy for us to begin to look at things differently. And I begin, to, I begin with this question. When it comes to everyday life, what kind of person are you? What kind of person am I? I, I mean, we are really perceived by others a lot of how we perceive life around us. In other words, your perception of life and how you see it is often how people see you. In other words, are you a pessimist? Is the glass always half, half empty instead of half full, right? Are you always seeing the negative things? Because if so, then people will, will perceive you as that negative person. Or are you an optimist, always seeing the glass half full instead of half empty? Finding the good, looking for the positive in every situation. There's an old adage which says, you'll find whatever you're looking for. It's really true, isn't it? If, if you're looking for things to be terrible, you're going to find that they're terrible, right? You know, you can find people who, who they have a lot of reason to, to not be happy in life because they've had a lot of tragedy. And so you kind of go with that, though that's why they're grumpy or this, that. But it always throws you a little off when you see someone who's had so many hard times and yet they're still joyful. So it really is the perception. It's kind of the, the lens in which we look at life is how people... That same lens, in turn, is how we get viewed. Our eyes, which are really the eyes of our soul, it's a powerful thing. A, a, a person can be characterized by how they look at things. You, 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 you look at uh, folks that were uh, during the Great Depression, and you see some of the artwork that came out of that. And, and though some people were hungry and worried about food, and they're creating art, and so there's beauty created from that. The way they saw the world around them was there's still an opportunity to create something beautiful in a time of struggle. We have to never forget that belonging to God is a result of a decision to follow Jesus, which leads in a change of behavior. It should affect all we do and all we say. So we'll, we'll read this familiar story found in Numbers 21. We'll start in chapter 21 first, uh, first nine verses of 21. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that the Israelites were approaching on the road through Aharam, and so he attacked the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. Then the people of Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will hand these people over to us, we will completely destroy all their towns. The Lord heard the Israelites' request and gave them victory over the Canaanites. The Israelites completely destroyed them and their towns, and the place has been called Hormah ever since. 
And this name, uh, this word Hormai, in the same sense can be meaning utter destruction, and in a good sense is used as consecrated to God. So literally the name of the place reflected what God had done there. And then we have uh, verse 4, the people of Israel set out from Mount Harar and taking the road to the Red Sea to, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And this, we hate this horrible manna. And remember mantle that, that God's provided this, this wafer-type bread that tasted of honey falling from the sky. Now, honey doesn't sound bad, right? Bread and honey. My mom made us chicken noodle soup and some rolls, and we, I found some uh, molasses in the cupboard, which is a little different than honey, but, you know, with a little butter and molasses on a fresh hot roll. I don't, I don't know, manna, if they could have heated up or what they could have done with it, but, but they were getting tired of it. And imagine there was, in this group staying there, there's probably just one or two that were really leading the fuss. And then how it kind of works when you got grumblers, there's usually just one or two leading the, leading the fight, right? Leading the grumbling. But they had food, they had water. God was trying to get them out of captivity and, and, the, and through the wilderness. And I mean, most of us are just happy to have food and water, right? Well, let's find out. Let's find out how just content we are getting some food and water. Because, um, let's see, Caleb had to participate in first service. How about anybody under the age of 18 come up here? Anybody under the age of 18 come up here? I'm going to feed you guys. I got Smiles, look at that, smiles. Show everybody. They're all excited because they're getting food, Right? I mean, anytime you're going to get fed, hey, I, there's more kids in here. Kids, don't you want to come up here and get food? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little contest. Oh, you're participating, Caleb? Okay, take a few of those. We're going to have a little contest. We're going to see who likes food so well that can eat the most crackers in a few minutes. You can go for it, Lily. All right, if there's any kids that want to get in on this, this is your last chance. You want to come eat crackers? No? All right, come on, Dennis. Come on up. All right, we're going to time them here. I'm going to give you two minutes to see how many crackers. And there's, there's the boxes right here. So let's do this. Let's move this chair so you can get to your supply here. And you just grab more if you can. See who can, and you got to keep a hold of your wrappers or count them anyway to know how many ate. Okay. On your marks, get set, go. <laughs> we need some music for this. I think Jaden tried to take a whole pack at one time. Pretty good crackers. Yeah, all right, let's see. So everybody's still on one package? <laughs> all right. Been going not quite 30 seconds. 
Will anybody get more than two packages down? That, that'll help you. That'll give you a little pace to go by. Mmm, paste pecan sauce. That'd be good on there. Anybody ready for more crackers? Man. Look, just look how many we have. Got plenty. Here, go ahead. You can start on the next one. No? All right. Come on, Nathan. You can get more. All right. Who's on their second package? Okay. Gavin. Now, I saw Gavin mixing concrete, so he, he ought to be able to fit it. All right. We got, we got about 45 seconds left. Not everybody's smiling anymore. Those crackers just aren't as joyful as it. Two full packages. Okay. That just two equal? Two equal? All right. Well, you win some crackers. Right. Here you go. You take some home. Here's some more crackers. We got so many of them. Yeah. There you go. We'll give everybody a little extra crackers. All right. Thank you for participating. Give them a hand. Not one of you asked me for a drink. <laughs> we have juice up here if you, if you need to get some juice. All right. Well, you know, you can just imagine the children of Israel. I mean, the manna, I mean, we, we think, well, honey, taste and bread, that should be fine. But I think I've heard that if you eat enough lobster, it starts tasting like soap after a while. I mean, you, you can only have so much of it. Well, the, the children of Israel are, are grumbling and complaining. And you can see the, the change on the look of the faces here after just a couple of wrappers uh, of crackers. You know, it just wasn't as exciting. So these people of Israel wandering in the wilderness and eating manna every day, and they're getting tired of it. And how quickly they forgot that God had proven he was with them already. Switch microphones, gentlemen. Let's look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. So I guess they are getting thirsty from all the manna too. And the people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. 
Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell on their face to the ground. And really, and when you're, God's put you in a place where you're in a place of ministry and, and people are not receiving that ministry well, there's only one thing to do and that's to fall on your face before the Lord. And this says, Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where he kept it before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people and came to gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice, with the staff and the water gushed out so the entire community and their livestock drank their fill this tells me two things looking at this interaction between god and moses and the people first that god will still meet the people's needs and honor his word even if the shepherd loses his cool and goes a little overboard with god's instruction that's a comfort to me in my position that's a comfort to anyone who who god has called to minister to others because we are not perfect, perfected yet. And the good thing is we know that God, His purpose and His plan for His people, He's going to carry out. His church will not be put down just because the leader doesn't follow every instruction. But the second thing is that we don't have to complain to get God to listen. We only need to pray. We don't have to complain to get Him to listen. He's not afraid of our complaints, but we don't have to complain to get Him to listen. We only need to pray. There's many times that I find myself it's easy to, to complain about something going wrong before I've given it any time in prayer. It, it feels good, doesn't it, sometimes when you just, we call it venting. God, why does a vehicle have to break down this week? You know how much I got going on, you know? Why does this have to happen now? As if it would be better tomorrow, you know? I say that and then I'm like, would I really be happy about the car breaking down next week? It's just, but it's something to complain about, Right? But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel by striking the rock instead of speaking to it, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. You see, God had proven himself already to them once and had taken care of them, yet they continued to grumble against God because they were only seeing what was right in front of their face. The immediate situation. Let's get back where we left off in chapter 21 and pick up verse 6. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told them, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they were, it would simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. One of the interesting things we probably continuously miss about this story is the frame of mind of Moses, the leader at the time. Moses had family members who had just died. Miriam, his sister, 
Brother Aaron. So, so he had lost the companionship, and it was probably lingering on his mind uh, as we opened that 21st chapter. And so often, the same thing happens to us during personal hurt, times of personal struggle. It seems that the, the leadership lessons God gives us are more impactful, that he grows us. I was thinking about a time when Jen and I were going through something very personal, and it was very, very um, heartbreaking. And, and it was something we didn't feel like we could really share with anybody at the time. And, and we were still needing to give out in ministry. And it was so hard because the flesh wanted to say, hey, everybody else needs to take care of themselves right now. We, we need to take time to ourselves and, and heal ourselves. But we found that God was gracious. Actually, some of the best ministry, I think, took place during that time when we were having to put ourselves and our own misery to the side and minister to others. It, it, it was... It was that that makes me think about how much God will grow you through those times because, like I said, this last week, five days in bed, being inside for, for me and who I am, that will about drive me insane. And the last time I was in that long, I literally got depressed by the end of the week. I was very, in a very dark place. But this time, I found myself watching... Uh, uh, debates with Christian apologists versus atheists, and uh, I listen to sermons, and I fall asleep during them, and I go back and back up and listen again, and, and I, I took a time of healing for my, my leg, I took a time for spiritual renewal for myself, and even miserable in my body, I actually had a pretty positive outlook by the end of the week. I was kind of like, you know, God's gracious of all the times it could have happened is a time when everybody expects someone to take a break during Thanksgiving, and I, I was just thankful for the Lord doing that. And, I, and I, I don't believe that you get there, you get to those places where you can be thankful even in troubled times or even in times of illness. I don't think you get there just overnight. I think it's all those times before when you were in a spot that you needed to be ministered to, but God put you in a spot where somebody needed you. And that's where Moses was at. And all these people of God who needed him to lead and be a leader, but yet he had had personal loss himself. There's still the risk of not reacting properly when this is the case, such as Moses striking the rock and says, speaking to it. I know Monday when I tried to step out at the property to, uh, to get the ball rolling for the work week and me and Rich, our project lead, was talking and he was uh, discussing and I was just feeling horrible already. I hadn't, by that afternoon, I'd go home and be in bed for a week and, and uh, I kind of snapped at Rich and I said, I'm sorry, I'm sick. I shouldn't, probably shouldn't be out here because I'm not in the right frame of mind. And whether God's putting you in leadership or just asking you to witness to your neighbor, there are times when you're tested in your resolve to, to be the light of Christ to even other brothers and sisters, to those outside of the church, when you're going through your own struggle. So Moses had led the children of Israel on this quest for God's victory. And so after the successful battle, we, we move on in the story. The children of Israel seem to have this kind of Facebook follower way of, of doing things because um, <clears throat> we tend to want to run to those who are more available because that's who's right in front of us than waiting on God. And the children of Israel were literally ready to start packing up their bags and say, let's go back to captivity than have to deal with this mess out here. They had very narrow sight as to what God was doing and their purpose. God had in mind that their journey would take three weeks and they chose 40 years. Lots of funerals, lots of wandering because uh, they were too impatient to do things God's way. 
Without apology, I submit this. When we choose to be disobedient to God's calling um, and go our own way, we make our way more frustrating. We make our journey more frustrating. And you know what generally follows when we are frustrated? is loose lips. In the Navy, they'd say loose lips sink ships. It's very easy to want to just vent and to say, I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't get this. I, I can't see what's going on. All I know is I have needs that are not getting met. I'm thirsty. I'm tired of manna. I'm tired of this job. I'm tired of this situation. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of the family struggles. I'm tired of children who won't uh, obey. I'm tired of parents who don't respect my, that I'm adult now. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. And we, we vent, but we never take it to prayer. Children of Israel began to run their mouth and criticize God and God's leader. And although they had taken the vote and made the decision to disobey God and spend a little more time in the wilderness, the blame game was afoot. They were looking for someone to blame. They didn't like what God was providing. And by the way, why did we ever leave Egypt? You see, I myself have been that person complaining about, about those that have led me. And I've had to go back and apologize. Um, I mentioned it several times when Pastor Roger, before we knew that we were going to be pastors and he was here, there was people that were not seeing eye to eye to him with him and they were coming to Jen and I because we were the closest connection to Pastor Jim, the previous pastor. And, uh, you know, we tried to not get involved in that. Before we knew it, we were listening and, and we were having conversations and, and it wasn't healthy. And, and, you know, not only did it hurt God's man, but it hurt us because we could see in our own lives that things were not, gonna, not going well as long as we were grumbling and complaining against what God was doing. You know, there's people that left this church during that time because they didn't know what was going on and they just knew they didn't care for the new way of doing things. But after they heard the whole story and knew what God was doing, they came back. And we were ones that were about to leave ourselves. But it's a serious thing when you begin to grumble and complain and disobey God because the grumble and complaining doesn't just go nowhere. It usually leads to disobedience. We have to be careful with the loose lips when we're in a tough situation and think, you know, I need God's strength. I need to be careful what I say here because it can lead me down the wrong path. Dr. Hammer, he's a lead uh, general counsel for, um, he's a lead attorney for the general counsel of the Assemblies of God. And while I was in Bible school, he did some uh, lessons for my church law class, came in and spoke. And he gave examples of situations where when God's people, the church, was doing the right thing, but someone decided they were going to take up arms against the church, someone within the church. They were going to, they were going to fight against the church or going to try to uh, get money from the church. And they, he told about some situations like one lady who, I think she had injured her legs on something on a church bus. And um, it was something that they didn't know about or they couldn't have known about. And uh, they had tried to resolve it with her and take care of her expenses, but she decided she's going to sue for big money. And uh, apparently the backstory is she was already disgruntled uh, with the church leadership anyway, and it was just kind of the, the thing to take issue with. And so she brought a big lawsuit, and they tried and tried, could not resolve it with her. And Dr. Hammer, who was always punctual, said the day that he was supposed to be in court for that, something had happened who had delayed him it was very abnormal for him. And he shows up, he goes in, the courtroom's dim, and the other attorney is sitting there by himself in the room with his head in his hands. And 
And he said, what happened? Did they, uh, was, uh, did they start early and I just was too late? And he said, no, no. So we didn't get started. He said, she was walking up the steps to the court. She fell, broke her neck, and she died. That, that she had set her heart against God's people and God's leaders and, and in a frail attempt to, to have selfish gain and whether it was retaliation mixed with just greed or, or either one, but you have to be careful when you set your heart against God's ways. And I've said before, I have ridden that horse of criticizing God's leader, but I will also let you know that God will find a way to show you the seriousness of this action. God says, touch not my anointed, 1 Chronicles 16, and also Psalms 105. And I will tell you, this doesn't just go for church leaders. This goes for you as those who are to go out and make disciples. That when you're going out and, and doing God's work and someone is trying to work against you, that you, you need not fear but put your trust in the Lord that he is going to, to be the right hand of justice for you. That he is your vengeance when, when someone is coming against you. Well, back to the Israelites. God had a, a, enough and sent his judgment on his people. He sent snakes. You know, if I was to bring out a box this morning and say, hey, for those of you who didn't know, we actually are snake handling church. You know, we're Pentecostal. Um, by the way, I'm missing one. I, I'm sure he's probably the most tame. Don't worry about it. He's around here somewhere. We'd have people starting to get up and move out of here, wouldn't we? You'd start wondering where that loose one is. And God sent these, these weren't garden snakes, you know, harmless snakes. These were poison snakes. People were getting bitten and dying. And I see three different places that we in the church look uh, to or focus all of our attention when we're, when we're in trouble. And, and, it's been in, and, and when we're in trouble and it's been intensified and we need some relief. One, we look to the problem. We look to the problem instead of looking to God. The children of Israel, after seeing the miraculous way they were delivered from Pharaoh, still couldn't see past the fact that God had delivered them once. All they could see is what was right around them. The problem. They looked to the preacher or Moses, the shepherd. Well, well, this is one thing that you'll find if God puts you in any kind of leading over people in a spiritual sense is that, you know, Moses is the one that went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. The people didn't go to Pharaoh and say, let us go. Moses did. So they were ungrateful, but they were also right in saying, you know, hey, did you bring us out here? in the desert to die of thirst. But still, God doesn't want us to look. He had put Moses there to lead them, but they're always to keep their eyes on God. And then also coming up with our own plan. Coming up with our own plan. They're like, why don't we just go back where we came from? And so many times, we want to start backpedaling. We want to start backpedaling when God's called us to do something. It, it happens to ministers. It happens to people. I know, doesn't it happen in maps? I'm sure you get new po folks that they get to their first project and maybe the project lead or the pastor or the church or there's something going on there that's just not what they had expected, wasn't what had been planned. The attitude's different. It's not all glorious like they thought and, and all little Jesuses they're going to work with, right? And so now all of a sudden, I don't belong in maps anymore, Right? I'm sure it happens because they lose sight of God's greater purpose that they fit into. All they're focused on is right there around them in that immediate situation. 
Friday, uh, I guess last night, I lose track of my nights, last night was bedtime. Colton had a fever this morning, as I said, and so he's not here, but Colton um, came in and was very upset, and then he just began to weep, and he just said, I don't know what my purpose is. He said, you know, Mom, you cook for us, and you clean for us, and we help a little, but, you know, you guys are doing all this big stuff, and I don't really know what I do. And Dad, you're, you're having to build a church, and you, you're pastoring, and I just don't know my purpose, and I just don't feel like I have a purpose. And he was sobbing, just literally almost convulsing. He was just so upset. He was just genuinely, he was broken about it. And you know, it's those times when I was still trying to get my head wrapped around for today. And, you know, I was thinking about that song we were singing and thinking about me singing hymns and me singing Jesus, take me, Jesus, take me now. I was kind of thinking that might have been a, a very truthful time of, in my life, they were singing that song last, last night, thinking, Lord, before these people have to endure me leading them in worship, maybe you should just take us now. But I, I'm, I'm trying to do this, and then I realize, you know, this week I was feeling guilt of, uh, even though I was sick, I had time, I could have spent more with my kids, and, and I was there at home, and I got absorbed in listening to sermons and things, and I thought, he's, he's really been thinking about this, and I said, son, and this was just the Lord's help, I said, son, I said, right now your purpose is to be a kid. You're in training. I said, you only get to be 11 once. I said, but God has blessed you with a good family name that has a heritage of ministry, and your day's coming. The load of responsibility is coming. You have plenty of time for that. I said, just enjoy right now before that weight is on your shoulders. But, but God has given you the opportunity to be a family that has consistently been in ministry, and I have a feeling God's going to have you in ministry too. I said, so just take the time to just enjoy being his child. And I said, and I don't even know, just off the cuff, I never had said something like this to him before. I said, right now when we're sitting here, there's an 11-year-old boy somewhere close to us probably who today in our house, no one got smacked around because their dad was drunk. In our house, no one had to worry about whether there's going to be food on the table Nobody in our house had to worry about the, the mom being so strung out on drugs today that she couldn't take care of you kids or me or anybody. But I can guarantee you their kids your age right now, right now by the sound of my voice that they are within miles probably of our house who are enduring that very type of life. I said, God has given you a great purpose, son, because he's given you an opportunity to hear his voice, to hear his word, and to be able to shed the light that he's given in your home to others who are suffering. I said, so you need to go rest easy tonight and enjoy being a kid because your day is coming. You'll will carry the light of the gospel to this world. And you know, earlier in the day, it made me think about something. Mr. Orr that used to come to church here that was a mechanic, he had got these lenses out of a headlight of a truck and then just... Thick, thick, thick piece of glass, this lens. And the kids had been out playing in the leaves in the afternoon. I'd stepped out there to get a little sunshine, get a little vitamin D, and, and uh, watching them a little bit, and the boys had decided they were going to use these. They found out these are very good fire starters. One way you turn it, you know, you have to kind of work at it, but the other way you turn it over, it doesn't take any time at all. I mean, smoke and flame, you, it goes quick. It's amazing. And I started thinking about that discussion with them and asked if I could borrow this, and I thought... You know, we all struggle, like the children of Israel, about what, our, what the greater purpose is for us, you know. 
right then where that child, we're in distress. We can't see that close around us. And you know, these lenses are interesting because if I try to look through it, I can't make out anything. This reminds me of some people's glasses I've seen. You know, you can't, and, and I could put it right on my hand or put it right on something, then I could see clearly what I'm looking at. But, but with any distance at all, I can't see much. It's just, you know, even doing this, I couldn't see anybody in here. And it reminds me kind of like how the children of Israel, how our life goes. When we're, we're in distress, we're like, we can't see anything if it's very far off at all. But God never really meant for us to be a lens that we're looking through to see our future. He wants us to be a lens that when we're facing the sun just right, when we're aimed by the Heavenly Father that His sun shines through, that it ignites everyone in our path. That literally, if we'll just be willing to be, be that instrument from God that he can hold and he can place in just the right spot when someone needs to be lit ablaze for him. That's what pastoring is. It's just being a lens that God can hold, that, that the light of his son can shine through. That's what being, being a disciple, someone going out and making disciples, that's what it's doing. You're just being that lens that can be held in the right spot that sets things ablaze. The children of Israel couldn't see past the next day and they never were supposed to. Otherwise, why do you need to trust God? He just wants us to trust and be aimed. Trust and be aimed. Just such a simple thing that God will take a moment out of our lives and say, when my own son was struggling, what's my purpose, Dad? And I didn't even see the tie into the sermon. And I started thinking about that. I thought, how much power that felt to hold this thing. And it's just amazing to grab a handful of leaves and just in a second, it just starts to ignite. The power of Jesus shining through us when we're aimed in the right direction. It took them 40 years aimed in the right direction. They, they deviated so many times. But that's how awesome God is, how gracious he is. It's sometimes it's not about how long it takes you to get there. It's just that he wants you to get there. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity this morning to hear your word, to worship together. And Lord, I just pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit, that we, as we dedicated the beginning, that we're not going to leave the same as we came. But be, take this opportunity to be changed in Jesus' name. That, Lord, we'd pray a prayer of dedication right now, rededication that, that God, if we've, been, if we've been grumbling or complaining, it's pulled our focus, Lord, on things that are temporary around us. It's pulled our focus on, on things that don't really matter because, God, they're, they're things that will probably not even be anything to worry about tomorrow. We quit worrying about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what, how we're going to be clothed. As your word says, when we trust you, Lord, that you will take care of our needs. When we stop looking back at the captivity we've been in and think maybe things will be better there and realize that you've created us into this lens that your sun can shine through to this dark world and set ablaze the hearts of those who need to know you who need to be reunited with you. I just thank you and praise you that we can rededicate our hearts to that focus today. God, point us in the direction you want us to go and keep us pointed that direction. In Jesus' name.
Love y'all. And God bless you. We are getting out a little early today. My voice was probably not going to make it a full span of service today. But um, Wednesday night at 630. Uh, we'll be making some plans too for uh, a fellowship dinner in uh, December to celebrate the Thanksgiving Christmas holiday uh, as a church body. So be looking for details for that. And uh, Love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.